been around her and had flirted with the town. And when Bill took himself a wife, it was hard to settle down. Bill got the The earliest recorded sounds that can be heard today come from wax cylinders recorded by Edison or his colleagues for the purposes of experiment and exhibition in about 1888. These cylinders are the incunabula of sound recording, just as Gutenberg's Bibles are the incunabula of the movable type printing. Put on your slippers, you're in for the night. Welcome to Dead Wax 78s. I'm your host, Sean, and this is the podcast where we're going to talk about old recording technology and, you know, musicians of the time. Today's episode is about Edison Blue Amberol Cylinders. Blue Amberol Records was the trademark name for cylinder records, manufactured by Thomas Edison, Inc. in the U.S. 1912-1929. They replaced the four-minute black wax Amberol cylinders introduced in 1908, which had replaced the two-minute wax cylinders that had been the standard format since the late 1880s. Blue Amberols can play for as long as 4 minutes and 45 seconds and have a surface layer of the indestructible plastic celluloid which Edison tinted a trademark blue color. Edison brand phonographs designed to play Amberol cylinders were named Amberolas. The rapid rate of technological development in the cylinder area culminated in a shift to a new type of cylinder medium, celluloid. Now, Albany had begun selling celluloid-based indestructible cylinders as early as 1907, and the Lambert Company of Chicago had sold them as early as 1901. Nonetheless, for Edison, the switch was more complete and long-lasting than it was for his rival companies. The Blue Amberol, introduced in 1912, would be the last incarnation of the cylinder line for the Edison Company. When they were first introduced, durability was seen as the chief virtue of celluloid media. A misstep with a celluloid cylinder, unlike the fragile wax recordings, wouldn't cause it to shatter. While resistance to breakage was rightly considered to be progress in 1912, Today, it is viewed as celluloid cylinders' only redeeming quality. Shrinkage and deformation over time have rendered some cylinders difficult to play, and their sound often is worse than that of the early wax cylinders. Here's part one, W.C. Handy's The Memphis Blues on Blue Amberol.
Edison, who did not want to pay royalties to Thomas B. Lambert for his celluloid cylinder patent, eventually bought it and changed production over to the thin but tough blue thin celluloid reinforced with plaster of Paris core. The introduction of these blue amberols helped to hike cylinder sales. The early blue amberols released offered excellent audio quality for their era. And from January 1915 onwards, Edison, which had been concentrating its efforts on improving the quality of the diamond disc phonograph record, began to release cylinders which were acoustically dubbed from diamond discs. The dubbing technique used was non-electric until December 1927, when electronic dubbing was introduced. This resulted in a somewhat hollow dead sound on the cylinders compared to the original discs. Beyond the main popular and sacred music series which began with record numbers 1501 and 1912 and ended with record numbers 5719 and 1929, Edison offered a special line of prestigious concert blue amberols of opera areas, light classical pieces and other cultured music performed by name artists, later supplanted by the distinctly tinted royal purple amberol cylinders. A special set of wax amberol or blue amberols identified by the letter A through H rather than the more usual numbers were given away with a four-minute conversion kit sold for updating some earlier two-minute phonographs. There were blue amberol instructional records to accompany the Edison School phonograph, ICS language courses, blue amberols for Morse code training, blue amberols for French and German markets, special two-minute blue amberols for rural Mexican market, and a six-inch-long dictation instruction cylinder for the Ediphone that were essentially long blue amberols and remained in production for many years after the demise of the cylinder format as an entertainment medium. Here's part two. Bill Murray, Sit Down, You're Rockin' the Boat, 1910. Johnny took her sailing on the briny road. Johnny tried to kiss her on the angry sea. And she hollered when he tried to take her on his knee. Sit down, sit down, sit down, you're rocking the boat. That's what she said each time he tried to kiss her. This is no Pullman car, just anchor where you are. Sailors have been known to carry many things too far. Sit down, sit down, sit down, you're rocking the boat. Remember that I just came out to float. It's not the first time I've been out. My mother taught me how to shout, sit down, sit down, sit down, you're rocking the boat. Mary Johnny, shortly after that, they lived in a houseboat, furnished like a flat. Lots of little sailors rolling on the floor. 
And they yell at John when he comes sailing home at four. Sit down, sit down, pop, sit down, you're tipping the ship. They sang the chorus of the song to father. We're glad to see you, Dad, but Mother will be mad. Be sure and don't wake Mama up, or you will get in bed. Sit down, sit down, sit down, you're rocking the boat. What's that blonde hair doing on your toes? Don't make a noise, she's gone to bed. We'll get a nice bag for your head. Sit down, sit down, sit down, you're rocking the boat. Johnny took his Mary to a swell cafe. I am very thirsty, Johnny heard her say. Mary said to Johnny, I guess I'll have some wine. Johnny said, my pocketbook and wine, it doesn't rhyme. Sit down, sit down, sit down, you're rocking the boat. Do you imagine I'm a Rockefeller? Remember, little dear, when I brought you in here, the one thing in my mind was just a glass of lager beer. Sit down, sit down, sit down, you're rocking the boat. There's only one real gargle for your throat. You said, I guess I'll have some wine. I guess you will, but not with mine. Sit down, sit down, sit down, you're rocking the boat. Internal Horn Edison phonographs designed to play a four-minute cylinder were called Amberolas. The earliest Amberola model, the 1909 Amberola 1A, was equipped with a selectable two- and four-minute gearing. And after initially being sent out fitted with an unmarked model L reproducer with a flattened fishtail weight that was recalled almost immediately as being unsatisfactory, they were fitted with the Model M reproducer, which flip over two and four minute sapphire styli for playing wax cylinders. You heard me, wax cylinders. Upon the introduction of the blue Amberols in 1912, the M reproducer was changed to the Diamond A reproducer, which was designed for playing only celluloid cylinders. It had a small tipped conical diamond stylus and an increased stylus pressure that would seriously damage the old wax cylinders. External Horn Edison phonographs were available with the Diamond B reproducer and several other Amberola models less expensive than the A1 or the 1A were available such as the 5, 6 and 10. Now after an Edison factory fire in December 1914, the Amberola line was simplified in both mechanical and cabinet design, resulting in the four-minute only Amberola, the 30, the 50, and the 75, each model's number indicating the initial retail price in dollars. They were equipped with a Diamond C reproducer. The four-minute only external horn opera later renamed the concert model of 1911 and 1912, which used the same mechanism as the 1B and the 3, was initially fitted with a Model L reproducer, which had an elliptical sapphire stylus for playing wax amberols. But after the introduction of the blue amberols, it shipped with a Diamond A reproducer. Here's part three 
Marie Dressler, Pride of Coburg, Rasterus, Take Me Back, 1909. Take me back. 
The Amberol plastic is on a plaster of Paris core. The core is proving to be problematic for long-term survival of the Blue Amberol records, as the plaster often tends to expand over the decades, especially if exposed to moisture or kept in a humid condition. In moderate cases, swollen plaster can make the record not fit properly on a phonograph manual or can warp the cylinder out of round making it not play properly. In the worst case, the expanding plaster will crack or split the plastic playing surface, rendering the record unusable. Freezing causes any moisture in the plaster to expand, but makes the celluloid contract, a combination which can cause the celluloid to split lengthwise very abruptly. The blue amberol plastic is a nitrocellulose and therefore flammable. Being an organic plastic, celluloid is often prone to chemical decomposition. But acute deterioration as seen in the old nitrate film reels uh, has so far rarely been seen or observed in blue amberols and other celluloid cylinders. The main domestic series of the Blue Amberall records featured everything from popular music and band selections to light classics. There were other series of concerts and operatic music as well. A series of ethnic and foreign markets. These include the 22,000 Mexican series, the 28,000 concert series, and the 23,000 British series, and of course, the Royal Purple Amberall series. Here's part four, Stars and Stripes Forever, 1909.
cylinder records ruled the market well into the 1900s. In 1901, Edison sold eight times as many cylinders as Victor Talking Machine Company sold discs. In 1903, the Edison to Victor sales ratio was four to one. Victor disc production did not eclipse Edison's 1903 cylinder volume until about 1912. Cylinder sector sales thus led the U.S. recording industry throughout its first 23 years, 1889 to 1912. Despite fluctuating sales and declining demand, several firms persevered, releasing new cylinder titles into the 1920s. The last holdout, Edison, stopped making entertainment cylinders on July 6, 1929, ending 40 years of musical cylinder production. Thank you for listening. This is Deadwax78, and I'm your host, Sean. And I hope you like the show. And you know what? I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you.